Welcome to Checks, Mix, and Chill, a podcast about different life topics told through a generational lens. Today, we are continuing our segment on love in the digital age, but we're tackling a different type of love domain, friendship. I thought I had to go online and find an online pen pal, but little did I know that one of the online dating apps, Bumble, has a section where you can look for your next Bumble BFF. Yes. And I found that most of the people on Bumble BFF are women who are looking for a gal pal or someone to hang out with or do activities with. So I signed up from the very first moment that I started looking for people on Bumble BFF. And it's exactly like the Bumble app. So you literally swipe left if you don't if you're not feeling the BFF vibe or swipe right and it was really interesting because I think being so close to LA my immediate reaction to any person who listed their occupation as waitress actress or model it was an immediate swipe left really you just hate anybody in the arts or (laughs) part of it is just the culture of living in LA and being close to the industry there tends to be a lot of fake people Mm. I really took it as who is my next BFF gonna be and just automatically thought I needed and wanted more substance than someone who identified that as their occupation is that interesting you know you've lived in LA for a while so you are stereotyping but also because it's like (laughs) consistently true even if it's unfortunate I did not think that I would do that be that type of person who would automatically reject based on something like that was this your first experience with a swiping type app yes Um, okay so much so much so that I had to google how (laughs) the hell the app worked see okay children listening you will reach the point of being culturally irrelevant just like your parents and I was really honest about the whole process so I you know Instagrammed it I would I tweeted out my search and I can't even tell you how many people made fun of me (laughs) including me so I ended up making a connection with a woman who is actually a elementary school teacher and we met up for a I don't even know what you would call it a friendship date uh, a meetup I don't know your, your girl date. A girlfriend date. And we just had drinks and, um, you know, eat spinach dip. Sounds like a great friendship, I'm going to be honest. And she was so nice. We made a Facebook connection, so now we're connected via Facebook. Oh, oh it's official then. And I hope, like, I even told her, too, I said I have a lot of friends in the area that are my age, and so it would be great to um, have her come over for wine night or whatever. So I'm hoping that she can plug in with the rest of my group and actually have a friendship out of it. Yeah. I think LA is hard. I run out of Bumble BFF peeps pretty quickly every single day. Oh, wow. It was way different than I thought my uh, online pen pal search would go. When Bumble tells you that you've run out of matches, how much of a loser do you feel like? Okay, I feel horrible. I know. <laughs> I know. I've, I think everybody everybody who has used the app has been like, I am such a loser and I need to go like join a league or like a bowling league or do something in person because I can't. I can't. Yeah. How did I run out of, I ran out of humans. Like how depressing is that? (laughs) How are my standards so high that I just swiped everybody? Or there'd be somebody who who, like seems so cool where I was like, oh man, this person would be awesome. Like there was one chica who lived um, pretty close to me uh, city wise and she was an animator for like the Walt Disney Company. And I thought, okay, this is it. You are my soulmate. This is my bestie in waiting. It was like heartbreaking not to be connected 
maybe she disconnected her profile and it hasn't like deleted from the Bumble system. I'm just trying to validate you. All I would sit there and think is the stakes aren't really that high because I'm just trying to find a bestie. And on the other hand of being out of the online dating game for so long, I can't even imagine what this would feel like going with, you know, trying to find an actual partner. It's horrible. That's what it feels like. Oh, gosh. The the worst is when, like, when Bumble tells you you've run out of matches and there's nobody around you and you're like, but I live in a city that's saturated with millennials (laughs) and I've, like, I've, like, set my, I've, like, set my search parameters very loosely here. So I think maybe it's the app. Again, I continue to blame it on the app. Always. (laughs) I would love to hear, Kat, your kind of view on especially having online friendships or friendships that started online. Honestly, I have more success with online friendships than I do with online. And I don't know if that's just because friendship is oftentimes easier than romantic love. And, you know, they come with their own unique set of challenges. I have met a number of people that I consider very good friends through an online platform. What the difference is, is that... When you're searching for somebody online, a lot of times you're not searching at all. Like you Mm. kind of stumble upon each other. And so there is kind of like an organic start to it. Um, But what ends up bringing you together is an experience rather than a hobby or a similar interest. In particular, like I have a number of friends who kind of know each other through Twitter or like they they were seeking out help for different things. And um you know, there there's like a whole group of parents who like the autism community and autism advocacy community is really big online. And they but they are people who kind of come together through that experience of having a child with autism um, and having to navigate either the healthcare system or the school system. Like having that experience is very profound and life altering. And so when that brings you together, as opposed to yeah, we met we met in person and maybe that seems more authentic or more real for whatever reason, but we met in person because I have a mutual friend, right? So we're of the similar age group and we live in the same city and that's what we have in common. They're, they're very different starting points, but I think what I have come to see is that a lot of people do better or maybe not do better, but they have very lasting, long lasting friendships with people they meet online because of that experience that binds them together as opposed to a demographic about them. I'm really glad that you said that because I think that's what I had the hardest time with was you don't get a lot of information. And I'm assuming people are into certain things based on their occupation or where they live, as Mm -hmm. opposed to, um, you know, I really love hiking. Um, And then having, you know, a group of hiking people that I can get together and hike with, I'm trying to like determine are these people the same kind of activity level or I super hate yoga. Is this person into anything but yoga? And so that was super hard for me because I think that that demographics is really what the apps are um, designed around, right? Yeah, definitely. And and you have a very limited space. Like like Mm, really, mm -hmm. really the biggest thing that you have in common – when you're seeking someone out through like an online app like that, um, especially a dating app, what you have in common is that you're both single or you're both looking, you know, like that's what you have in common, but that's not the only thing that keeps a, turns something into a relationship, right? That's not something being both being single or both being looking for female friendship, right? Like, Mm -hmm. 
that's a good starting place, but it, I don't know. I don't know if that those those experiences are necessarily like profound enough to mm-hmm. move it into something permanent and lifelong. Yeah. So, so Stephanie, I actually talked to my friend Brian because he he and I also met online back in the day um, through AOL, but we discussed specifically his experience with. Um, friendships that start online through his life in the gaming world, in particular World of Warcraft. What I came to kind of realize in this conversation with Brian is that um, there, there's different, there's different ways in which online friendships or online relationships tend to start. And the first is something like Bumble or Tinder, kind of like that online dating platform, which is you're both looking for a particular outcome. And then there's kind of this middle ground where you have a shared hobby that brings you together or a shared interest, something something very specific to you and something you're particularly passionate about. And then there's this third one where it's an experience and and that's people who come together through, you know, grief circles or, you know, substance abuse and addiction, like they their profound life experiences that kind of bring people together because they're processing or coping or providing support in some way or another. And some of it's also very positive. Like they've moved to the moved to a new city at the same time, right? So they're both newbies mm-hmm. in a new city and that that experience is very profound and brings them together. What I realized <laughs> in talking with Brian is that World of Warcraft in particular, it's it's kind of crazy because it's it seems like yes, they came together through this the similar interest of the game itself and they enjoyed playing the game, but they have memories through their, like they have moments within their friendships that were shared through their avatars, but they totally remember it. My name is Brian Essig-Papard. I'm a illustrator. I live in Los Angeles. I work as a concept artist and storyboard artist and comic book artist and writer. Um, I co-created the series Zeros for Hire and Currently, I freelance in LA, working for um, tech companies and making commercials, music videos, whatever comes my way. Just as a general, uh, extraordinarily nerdy person, I uh, I also do gaming online. World of Warcraft, because I don't have gaming background. How do you connect with people through? Like, it's through the video game itself. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, it supports its own kind of uh, format for linking up and grouping but they have these groups called guilds and that's just a way to socially link yourself up with other people that want to play the game in a similar manner that you do so while you're playing the game you might be talking about what's on espn right now or you might be talking about the new movie trailer just came out so it's not always game related but this game hosts like-minded communities together that uh, kind of glom together in their own they put in their own effort to create these communities so i joined up years and years ago what you know the purists call the vanilla days where the game wasn't <laughs> the game wasn't uh as as uh, extraordinary as it is right now uh in terms of all its updates so actually a real life friend of mine who was playing was starting his own guild you literally have to run around in the game find people physically walk and walk up to them and ask them to uh sign the charter in those days if you had like eight people that were interested you had your own guild and you make your own flag and tabard and all that nerdy shit that goes on. So you you met most of the people in your guild through this kind of virtual Narnia land of <laughs> World of Warcraft. Yes. In World of Warcraft Narnia. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm sure there's an actual Narnia reference somewhere in World of Warcraft. How did you pick who comes into your guild? It was largely based on personality, just how they chat. Um, guild actually started like 12 years ago, I think. It was quite a long time. And uh, so we were, we were getting more and more, uh, you know, you, you end up chatting with people that play a lot. And you end up just talking about their lives. And um, you end up meeting virtually all these people that you end up forging these bonds with. You kind of have the game as that overarching structure. Like you were saying, there's that interest level is already there. I don't. I wouldn't go f so far as to say we're the first guild to ever do a big meetup, but we're definitely one of the first. It was a rarity, and uh, the so we sent out this invite, and among at this time like hundreds and hundreds of uh, guild mates and guild members that were there, um, a whole bunch of people came out to Colorado from all over the world. We had friends that were in Hawaii at the time. There's this awesome married couple that games together uh in new jersey came out uh, a bunch of people from the plains from like oklahoma came out um and there were people actually that lived in colorado not that far from us in what ways do you think that potentially these friendships that start kind of in like a virtual platform um in what ways do you think that they differ from like do you, do you think there are areas where they are stronger or weaker than than the friendships that you make in kind of traditional real life settings. I feel like um, the basis for the friendship might uh, have a lot more latitude. Um, so you have this kind of, especially if you're playing a lot, you have this constant level of contact with the other people that play a lot. And similar to messaging, you just talk about what you want to talk about. And the 10 minutes that go by with no messages sent across isn't the equivalent of say sitting at a table <laughs> with your friends in right 10 minutes, 10 of, minutes of dead silence with, with a friend in person it's very right. different so and then on top of that there's the uh the environment in which it takes place so sim dissimilar from say random <laughs> aol friendships like uh this game also lends itself to forging those community bonds I like that um, you can you can definitely see where if a social anxiety piece is something that you're dealing with, how that that type of setting would be easier, right? Because it's it's you know what you're going to be talking about to some degree, right? Which is kind of less nerve wracking than a live conversation that could go any direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it's I noticed that um, uh, when we all got to meet each other in real life. Um, or IRL, and as I, think <laughs> we all called each other by our like dominant characters' names, like whatever character we played the most. That's adorable. What we was all... your dominant character's name? <laughs> so mine was Chohawk. So everyone called me that in the age of before hashtags. There is still this kind of organic feeling about kind of traipsing around a world and bumping into people via happenstance. I'm like blown away because this is the first time I've kind of like understood it through this angle where like j there's a screen there but you're living the life of the character on the screen and so in a way it is kind of like you're brought together through an experience but it's like the experience of your avatar. Oh totally. There's and actually my dad plays and he was a big player at the time of all this as well. I've had conversations with him where these experiences are so real over the course of years. You have this kind of uh, synesthesia where 
Like if you're, let's say you're hiking in the mountains and you have this beautiful vista, unfortunately sometimes reminded of the game as opposed to the vista that really exists out in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking of, oh wow, this is almost as epic as the game or the game is almost as epic as this. When, I mean, as a designer, I realized they did their research and they recreated the most grand vistas that our planet has as inspiration. So the connection is purposeful. However, something about rain, um, I don't know if the game faithfully recreated the sound and the environments and or the environmental effects of a rainstorm coming in and then drizzling, but whatever they did, the smell of rain and the sound of rain often triggers uh, people that play Warcraft and they think of the game, and which is crazy because the game has no smells and... Yeah, it's it's a shared experience and a shared interest. And, you know, it really doesn't matter if you have social anxieties or not. Uh, typing and chatting with someone is just going to be a little bit easier. So moving from using a video game as an online platform to build a community around that experience, I decided to interview my old friend Ashley. She utilizes Facebook to build an academic community specifically on her research. Wait till you hear this. So my name is Ashley Zanter, and I am an uh, adjunct instructor of English at Weber State University, which is a large public university in northern Utah. Well, I use Facebook for friends like everybody else in the known universe. Um, but um, in particular, I tend to be member. I, I have, I'm a member in several online Facebook specific um, communities of scholars. So uh, people in academia like I am, um, uh, and it ranges from adjunct instructors like myself, so part-timers, to full-time tenured professors, to fellows, to uh, people with um, different kinds of funding who are just paid to perform research and write and publish and things. And uh, we use Facebook to form like scholar communities. Uh, hmm. where and they're they're open some are open to the public so you can just join yourself some of them you have to be invited so if you're a friend of a friend that they can invite you into this group um, hmm. and some are more private though that seems to be that's not really a great way to like form a network so that tends to be mm-hmm. really um, less frequent that are mm-hmm. I see it less often and so uh, we use this to stay connected with each other because especially in academia um, we're usually pretty far apart from each other so a lot of the internationally as well so Mm. a lot of the communities I'm a part of have international scholars from non-US universities Um, and we use it to communicate with each other with each other share research calls for papers um, and just sort of use it to to network with each other because after a while it tends to be the same people over and over you learn the (laughs) names especially um, the research I do tends to be fairly specific and so (laughs) once you're in it for a few years it starts to uh, kind of suss itself out who the important people are and uh, so yeah that's usually that's how I tend to use it um, in terms of like online networking so last year um, I go to this conference every year I'm not going this year but I've gone for the past several years um, the National Pop Culture Association Conference mm-hmm. and last year it was in Seattle and I uh, always presented in the vampire and literature culture and film section and mm-hmm. last time there was a round table that I went to where a whole bunch of people were like we should have a Facebook group so we can like keep in touch with each other and share articles and stuff and so um, I'm a part of the vampire scholars group on on Facebook it's what we called ourselves and uh um, I, I, I didn't like start a project through there, but through there, someone that I know, uh, was working on a book project and they mm. asked me to write an endorsement for them. So they sent me the introduction and a couple sample chapters and then I read through them and then wrote an endorsement, which ended up inside the book. 
Oh, so, awesome. Mm-hmm. So I got I got cited in that particular text. Uh, a lot of times we post CFPs, so call we call, CFPs mm-hmm. call for paper, call for publications. Um, and so I'm working on I'm actually working on three different book projects right now with my colleague Jessica <laughs> uh, Richards, and uh, we've been posting our CFPs through these channels on my end, mm-hmm. uh, and we've gotten a few different submissions from people who who have wanted to participate in this these projects with us through um, sort of this particular group of people and that CFP gets shared even if the person doesn't want to submit directly they'll share the CFP with their own network so we've actually gotten quite a few international submissions as a result of this because people in these groups are from uh, Poland Uh, Simon Bacon who's in our first book Romancing the Zombie Um, he's from Poland so we got him in there we've got a couple from Germany we've had submissions from Australia um, Canada uh, Venezuela so wow. yeah, we've got a lot of different uh, international submissions. So I think it gets folded in pretty heavily with the really hip millennial hate that goes around right now. So <laughs> I'm a huge fan of millennials. Um, I write papers on millennials and zombies in particular. That's sort of my hobby horse. I think there were plenty of marriages and relationships that were non-substantive that happened before the internet. <laughs> I think it's really hard <laughs> to make the claim that like every single relationship that formed before the internet existed was pure and perfect. And, and so <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's something new. We're not quite sure how it's panned out yet. The internet in terms of dating is still extremely young and there's still a huge stigma around it you know you see the match.com commercials that are trying to be like look at how legitimate we are and (laughs) and uh that's a sort of a result of this you know we still have this vendetta against online dating um and Mm -hmm. and there are things to be concerned about you know but right i also think that those things existed before the internet existed so Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just depends on how you use it. I think if you're the type of person that's going to go online and try to find those shallow relationships, you're going to find them. And I think if you're the type of person that sort of um, vets people pretty well before you meet them or before you go out with them, then I think, you know, it may work out for you. And so if, yeah. you know, I think a lot of it depends on your intention as a person participating in the, the culture of, of internet life. So Steph, what do you think from the conversations that we've had with our guests and from the feedback that we got from our listeners building up to this episode, why do you tend, why do you think that there, there tends to be kind of this discourse or this narrative that relationships, romantic or friendship are somehow less meaningful or less valid than the ones that are initiated in the traditional in-person way? Like, why do you, why do you think that that narrative continues to exist? You know, most people think of online applications or online platforms as very self-centered. And it's Mm -hmm. like, how many likes can you get? How, you know, how many times can you retweet something? Um, And so I think the narrative already kind of tends to be really self-centered and doesn't really authentically communicate the different connections that people are actually making. So for Brian, um, you know, even though there's this, uh, this, it's not a video game, it's an online game, you think about how many hours somebody's playing and they're and and really at the end of the day people think of it as just a game where instead of thinking about it where there are people from all over the world coming connecting that they're having these shared experiences and moments that are really building a friendship just like if you and I were to go to the movies or go shopping or go out for coffee and talk all of that's happening it just happens to be in a virtual space as opposed to face to face at a coffee shop to create a guild within World of Warcraft, you have to have eight people. But then you, your avatar, like your character within within the game, 
goes go it's it's doing what we think we should be doing in real life right like mm-hmm. you go up to these people these other characters or, or video game characters and and start conversing basically and you're you're it's live so you're you're immediately connected through audio and and so the interface is live and so you can get a vibe for them and start Hmm. feeling it out and you can then invite them into your guild based on that so there's what started with like a few people locally has within brian's case like has you know mushroomed out and and includes a ton of people all over the world and so you are kind of doing that like it's the same Mm -hmm. process it's just there's it's somewhat removed because there's a screen there but I don't necessarily know that removed is should have a negative connotation to it other than it should it in the sense of it's removed I just mean like literally that's the logistics of it right like there there's a screen between you um but it's but it's very real like you're you're doing all of those things people with social anxiety it they would not have otherwise that's how they do it right like that's their option for being for being able to to form these relationships i was going to say i think also it's what you make of it so i think i think it can be potentially limiting if that doesn't you know like maybe maybe mm-hmm. for somebody who's more extroverted that wouldn't be the best platform Mm -hmm. to be making those types of relationships or it would be something that you could do for a few hours a day and then you're done but but I think it's I think it's what suits you know there's there's different temperaments and different personalities and so things mesh differently for different people I think ultimately the the silver lining or the superpower within online connections is that you 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 can control for a lot more as opposed to if you just met somebody in a coffee shop right and and Mm -hmm. started a conversation that might develop into something really wonderful you know I've I've met a number of people through Twitter that I'm friends with because I search for particular hashtags around health and wellness or behavioral health advocacy things that I'm really passionate about and that I wanted to connect with people. I certainly wouldn't have met them in Denver because they're all over the globe. Maybe the person I talked to in a coffee shop is into that, right? But you don't really know. And so I think that's also one of the, one of the benefits of it is that the ability to search for exactly what you're looking for and exactly what you're seeking out. And you can also you can also there have been times where I've I have a number of friends and they're great for a lot of reasons, but I don't I don't really have like, you know, a strong core group of people who are into this and that's Mm -hmm. that's what I want to supplement that's the piece that I want to strengthen and so you can then go out and search on those parameters to kind just so that you have a support system for that maybe not a support system but you have a group of people who you know who you know and that you're you share a passion for something what a great connection to what Ashley's talking about with um, building a group of people to discuss uh, research or thoughts and ideas or even what you were talking about earlier about having that really profound experience that will bring people together. There's some really interesting online forums for like the loss of a twin. So being mm. a twin, it's really interesting. Um kind of seeing those online. Um, But that kind of very personal experience that not everyone would ever be able to connect to, it opens up your world while you're saying it's in one aspect, it's kind of limiting because you're using an online forum or platform. But in some regards, it really does open up the entire world to you. Definitely. So Kat, our next episode. You are, this is, this is Stephanie speaking out 
Like, just just call on me if you need me. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. And so um, if you haven't seen it already, uh, we will be soliciting your favorite conspiracy theories. Feel free to tweet at us or drop some interesting videos or links on our Facebook. You can always reach us uh, on our website at checksmixandchill.com. And we'll see you next time. Catch you on the flip side. Bye.